We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in, everybody. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, June 15th. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are going to get into some running backs uh, discussion. We're going to talk about some guys that we're fading. We're also going to do a deep dive into a couple of backfields, both Buffalo and New England warrant some discussion, and then we'll, we'll uh, wrap it up with a little bit of news and notes coming out of many camps across the league. Let's start the show. Welcome on in, everybody. This is the Redwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, brought to you by our friends over at Reality Sports Online. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you. Mario, how are you doing on this Wednesday? Uh, I'm a little on alert because it's really, really hot and humid, and uh, we're probably going to get some kind of nightmare storm right about when this podcast ends. And uh, we had one yesterday, two or two days ago, I can't even remember, Uh terrifying stuff like i look outside for just a couple seconds during the storm and uh there's like every potted plant and like uh porch furniture i assume for like a mile away was getting like kameha meha down the street uh like a million miles per hour which is something i've never seen i've seen plenty of big storms in wisconsin so uh yeah i'm, I'm a, the weather channel boy today i guess no i mean it, it's it's happening everywhere though like um I don't no. like it at all, by the way. I'm not a fan of this crap. Not into it. Uh, down here in Atlanta, the heat index, I'm looking at it right now, is 108. Um, so, you know, in, in Wisconsin, usually, you know, you, you flex on the wind chill. I guess down down here, the move is to flex on, on the heat index. And We uh, get plenty yeah. of, uh, what is that, dew point in Madison, too, just because of those, I, I would imagine, those lakes, if nothing else. <laughs> but either way, folks... If you hadn't noticed, if you haven't been outside, um, it's don't hot. go, don't yeah, go. Not worth it. Um, I have like a 10k I'm gonna run on on Monday, and uh, I am I am officially no, like no. worried about no, that. Um, so we'll we'll see if if I'm around for for next week's uh, edition of the show. But why don't we go ahead get things started by by taking a look at a couple of backfields. Uh, let's start things out in new England. So it was already kind of a a crowded backfield as it was, you know, with, with, 
uh, with Damian Harris, with, with Ramondre Stevenson coming on strong as a rookie, and then you know James White still still in tow. And you look at the Patriots draft, and they bring in two guys that that I think both of us liked a lot in the pre-draft process, and both Pierre Strong out of, out of South Dakota State and Kevin Harris out of, out of South Carolina. You know, uh, Harris more of, more of a, a power runner type um, really impressive numbers from a couple of years ago. And Pierre strong, I believe had the fastest 40 or what, or one of the fastest forties among the running backs. Uh, he also I, had the I, least fake 40 time among the running backs. Like he, he got, he got listed at four, three, seven, but his unofficial was a four, three, nine. So if he got the same bump as like Brian Robinson and Zamir white and all these other players with fake 40 times, they'd be listing him as a four, two, nine instead of a four, three, seven. So, I mean, let, let's start there. I mean, you look at the rest of this New England backfield, they're good players. Like Ramondre Stevenson's a good player. Damian Harris is a good player, but no one offers the the type of speed that Pierre Strong does. So, I mean, d- does that kind of have a way of forcing him onto the field or, or, you know, leaving New England no choice, but, but to, you know, find a way to get him some snaps Do they do they move him like into, into a, into the slot role on occasion or, or do something to just kind of, kind of get, that speed on the field, push the defense back a little bit. So I got to admit, I don't actually know how advanced Pierce Strong's pass catching uh, repertoire is like, maybe he's more of a backfield route runner at the moment. It would be nice if they can, if he, if he either is already capable or if they can eventually get him prepared to run routes from the slot, because uh, you look at a player like Pierce Strong, you know, height, weight tools wise, it's all the same as Naheem Hines. Like it's actually almost just very specifically identical to Naheem Hines, but unlike Naheem Hines, Pierre Strong has an extended history of running really effectively. Whereas Hines was just an okay uh, ACC runner, which is why he's a properly bad NFL runner with strong. There's, I think reason to hope that he's not a bad NFL runner. And if he can be anything other than a bad pass catcher too, speed like that can play. I mean, especially if, if the Patriots stay a competitive team, uh, though that's a separate subject, I guess. The question for Strong, I guess, in the meantime, might be like whatever is going on with James White. And I don't know what to make of that because this is a guy who, of course, was very good. One of their most effective players uh, on their best Tom Brady teams. And yet he never was very toolsy. You know, he was always more quick than fast. He was never a big running back as great as he was as a runner, uh, including at Wisconsin, by the way. James White was an awesome pure runner at Wisconsin. Uh, before he got to the NFL and kind of rebranded. So so maybe Strong can do that same thing. It would be pretty interesting if he can. I just I just don't know how Strong could so much as be active on Sundays if James White is. So with, with that in mind, do do we envision James White breaking camp with, with the Patriots, or, or do you think something like – I have know, no idea, man. There might be some sort of beat writer thing on this already. I, mean, I guess I should have looked for that. But uh, I haven't heard anything, certainly. And – the Patriots might not themselves uh, know or think anything in particular about this. Like they might just view it as we're going to go into camp and we're going to wait to see who gets hurt before we even bother trying to figure out what we're going to do with any of these guys. Uh, I do think though, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are pretty much locked in to their functions. And the way I would imagine that is Damian Harris is going to get the most uh, thankless bruising kind of running tasks, which, I guess thankless is the wrong word because it resulted in a lot of touchdowns. Uh, you know, they put him, they put him in for the, for the, you know, the most contact plays basically. And I think Harris has shown he's really good at it. I don't think you can plug in just anybody and get the numbers that they, they got from Harris, especially last year. But I, I think Harris was really good the year before that too. So I think he's clearly carved out this function where 
he's not just the best on the Patriots. He's one of the best probably in the league right now at just pure running between the tackles, running slightly off tackle. Uh, that's Damian Harris. But the, the, the other side of that is when he takes those hits, running into that kind of contact over and over, maybe that has something to do with why he's been nicked up the last two years. And maybe that's why, uh, rather than a lack of pass catching ability, maybe this this lack of availability is is why Belichick hasn't really tried to get Harris prepped as a pass catcher. Like maybe he's like, we're gonna run Harris into the ground between the tackles, but we're not gonna ask him to to learn how to do hurry up because we don't want to have to replace our hurry up guy in the middle of the game with no pass uh, with no practice reps. So Stevenson is that guy though, and I, I think he's their their main pass catching, their main hurry up guy probably, and also. The, the first guy in line if Harris does get hurt. So those two are both pretty interesting to me. I'm, I'm high on both of them. They, they're both prospects that grade conventionally well for me because they're, uh, I guess Harris is more like 215 than 220, but he's pretty well built. Stevenson, of course, is a pretty heavy back. And they were both really explosive runners in college, which is, I don't know, to me, I, I think you could be much better served by a process that just kind of weighs body density against rushing volume and rushing efficiency in college. Uh, adjusting for level of competition and, and uh, surrounding team context, just going on that basis alone is a pretty good process to find good runners because Harris and Stevenson were not particularly hyped as prospects and they've both done really well so far. So I, I'm a believer in both of them. It's just kind of hard to see how either gets out of the other's way. Yeah. I remember a time in, in which we, we, it was novel to suggest that the Damian Harris was better than Josh Jacobs. Um, so uh, Sony Michelle too. I mean, that was, that was something that people would, you know, the, the draft capital doinks would have been saying, like, it's impossible. One was a first rounder. The other was a third rounder. It's like, yeah, well, who's actually run for more? Who, who does more with a football? Do you care about that? <laughs> no. no, obviously not. Um, but when it when it comes back to Harris, I, I thought you brought up a really interesting point about, you know, like th- things in his role kind of feeding into his, t- in his touchdown upside. You know, his touchdowns last year spiked. It, he, he had about 70 more carries last year than he did in 2020 ended up with 15 rushing touchdowns as opposed to just two. I guess um, that's just you, Cam not being there is all that that took to make that happen. Okay, so so we're not too, too worried in that case for like, you, maybe you're not like projecting 15 touchdowns again for Damian Harris, yeah. but double digits, is that is that still something that's well within range? So to be fair, he, he did only have two rushing touchdowns on 137 carries in 2020. I'm not saying... Uh, that's likely. I think that's unlikely to happen. I would sooner guess 15 on the next 200 than two on the next 140, but we might sooner yet expect them to kind of split the difference. So if that's 17 touchdowns on 240 carries, or sorry, 340 carries, maybe you can just kind of multiply that rate times whatever number of carries you think Harris is going to get this year to come up with a, you know, hopefully responsible touchdown projection. Okay. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, both of those are, are kind of like the, the opposite ends of, of their respective spectrum. <clears throat> so I do think it was totally structural though. I think it was just because Cam took whatever eight, <laughs> 10 of those rushing touchdowns himself. I'm like, yeah, Harris got all of them. And uh, they got a little better in general, I, I think on the offensive line and on uh, the pass catching position, certainly. So I think those structural, you know, contextual changes kind of explain the number more than just kind of unsustainable production. So bottom line on, on, on Harris, you know, as to where he he's going, uh, there's kind of a cluster of, of running backs. We'll get to one of these guys uh, here shortly in, in Kenneth Walker, but, you know, Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders, we'll, we'll get to Singletary here in, in a moment as well, but, and, and Kareem Hunt and Tony Pollard, those are all guys 
going in that in that similar range, like in the uh, set late seventh round. Um, do you are you buying Harris at, at that spot? Are you going at a different position, or or is he kind of your running back of choice if you're trying to target that position at that stage of the draft? So his upside is definitely limited. And, and as much as I was just saying, I think the structure explains the touchdown uh, improve the touchdown percentage improvement rather than just kind of fluky numbers. It is also true that last case's scenario was probably the best case for Harris. Like maybe he gets, maybe he's a little more healthy, able to play a little more, maybe get something like 250 carries instead of 200. That's possible, but that's the best he's going to do. He's not going to go over like 20 catches, 25 catches, something like that no matter how good he does at it because they have Stevenson and maybe white and maybe strong to do that instead. And then they, they want to use Harris as a running specialist because they know it's, it's going to be hard on him taking those hits. Uh, so I don't think he can give you like a second or third round return. He'd have to catch more passes, I think to, to really push for that range. But I do think at the very least, uh, no matter how limited his ceiling might be, there are definitely players going ahead of him that shouldn't. And I'm definitely thinking of, especially like Kenneth Walker, we'll get to more of these guys in a minute. Miles Sanders, I think is a fine pick. I don't dislike him at his ADP, but how do you not look at Harris and just immediately recognize him for a better version of the same category? Like Sanders is not a serious candidate for many targets in that offense. He's not good at it. And they have two guys who are good at it in Boston Scott and uh, Kenneth Gainwell. Whereas with Harris, it's like, yeah, he's not going to catch passes that much, but he's not bad at it. And we know he's their lead runner I, maybe that's the point of contention for some people i guess a lot of the Ramondre hype might try to get get the, get itself low on harris to kind of rationalize uh make the math work you know and and i get that but i, I think it's the wrong way to look at it because i think the answer is sooner both than just one of the two okay and and then you know when, when it goes back to to stevenson his adp is a couple rounds after not not super far but but you know an appreciable amount is adp uh, checks in around 110 uh, over on the NFFC, dating back to data over the last month or so. Uh, Melvin Gordon goes right right in front of him among other uh, running backs. But but when it comes to Stevenson, you know you look at you know some of the positive things for, from his uh, statistical profile from last year. Good with the broken tackles. That's not surprising uh, given his frame and, and his running style. And and you know that that obviously uh, you know kind of leads into a good amount. Um, of yards after contact, stuff like that. Um, do we see his role maybe maybe just increasing a little bit? You know, if it, if it you know, admittedly took him a little bit to really, really carve it out um, last season, you know, he, he really barely played up until October and then really started to, to take over in, in the second half of the season and be a more um, featured type of player. Obviously, uh, maybe some of that had to do with, with the turf burns um, for Damian Harris, but Let's say you on Stevenson at his ADP. Yeah, like I said, I think Harris is going too late, but it's not because I think Stevenson's going too high. I think both of their ADPs are are pretty viable targeting uh, viable targets right now. And uh, Stevenson, he, he maybe is a little risky. I mean, I guess we should perhaps keep in mind, not that I personally care at all, but like he had some academic, maybe drug test, something like that issues at Oklahoma and uh, sometimes guys backslide a little bit. Sometimes character concerns do turn out to be accurate. Uh, last year, obviously when he was on the field, you couldn't have told that, you know, like he was, he was really effective when he was on the field, just more so hurt. 
Uh, so I'm pretty optimistic with Stevenson, despite that. And it's, I'm just kind of mentioning it as, I guess, a you know, fair warning disclaimer. But Brandon Bolden played like 340 snaps last year. I actually think Brandon Bolden's probably a little underrated, but Stevenson, I think, is clearly good. So I expect him to get, I don't know, I don't want to put a particular number, but why not, you know, why not like 200 of that at least? Okay. So, I mean, that that's certainly a, a number that you would more than be happy with, especially, at, you know, at, at around uh, or a little bit after the hundredth pick a, of a given draft. Um, I guess, but bottom line here, when, when it comes down to it, do, do we see a, a third back emerge that, that makes things a little bit more murky for um, these two running, running backs because it, you know, their, their skill sets are not, not, exactly the same, but, but rather similar. Maybe they, you know, going back to the original point when it comes to a Pierre strong or, or James white, although Johannes uh, regular viewer and listener of the show points out that uh, casting some doubt uh, that the James white plays a whole lot this season, but. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know what to expect. I, d- I don't expect anything in particular, I guess. Uh, no, I want to see Stevenson play over white. I, I want to see Kevin Harris play over white. I want to see Kevin Harris play over uh, probably a couple of these guys. Uh, Kevin Harris, by the way, the deal with him is just, I think they're going to try to redshirt him. Like he's, he had the back injury last year that pretty much explains, you know, his, his reduced production. Then he also had a hamstring thing that he kept aggravating throughout the pre-draft process. So he might be the kind of guy who gets nicked up quite a bit. Maybe he's just not fully recovered right now. I have no idea what the deal is, but what the Patriots are doing in camp, I think is they're going in, not expecting exactly, but prepared for somebody to get hurt and then not really make their plans to final until they know who they're actually, who they, they actually have as week one options uh, close to week one. And Harris could get hurt. Anybody could, uh, either Harris could get hurt. Uh, White, White could get hurt. He's dealing with a hip thing still, I think. So yep. the, the injuries that might happen might be the entire basis of decisions that we're trying to speculate on right now. I think that that's totally a, a, a fair summation of, of, you know, how the Patriots are, are going to go about this. And then and they're run dependent. Know. So they know guys are going to get hurt. They know that they, and if, if it does happen, they know they can't just leave. If they want to be competitive anyway, they can't just leave it to chance, whatever the replacement is. They need to have a capable replacement. Uh, Cause, and they know they're going to go through those running backs because they're not going to be a spread offense, throwing the ball 40 times with Mac Jones. It won't work. No, it, that definitely won't. Um, do you see that the pass play percentage go up a little bit, though? I mean, I mean, Maybe. I, I, well, for that it, one game, unless they got a 40 mile per hour Buffalo game again, uh, it almost has to go up. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I really think Mac Jones is both limited and could be more productive than he is if they had better players around him. D- Devontae Parker is a start. Maybe he's had so much bad injury luck for such a long time. I don't know what they can really bank on there. In any case, they, their formula last year was they bash you and they play good defense. And uh, Mac would take check down passes to just kind of play ball control to not turn the ball over, to keep the clock running, to keep the defense on the field, to run up the new England play count. That's all he can do though. You can't just say like, Oh, he'll, he'll just get better because he's a year two quarterback. He'll get better if he starts doing things better than he did his rookie year. And most of the things that he struggles with, tend to do more with physical limitations, physical limitations that will only get glossed over if you make him more of like a Kirk Cousins scenario where he's got, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen or Stefan Diggs, good receivers like that 
can bring Mac Jones to the next level, but not the personnel they have. No, no, it's, it's still a, a largely, um, it, it lacks the top end talent as far as the, uh, the pass catching uh, personnel is concerned. And to your point about Buffalo, they play in week 18. So in it, in Buffalo. So uh, All right, maybe we should plan on another one pass attempt game. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. I, I hope that one's not on national TV. That was, that was a tough Monday night game to watch. Um, Let's go ahead. Let's get on over. Speaking of Buffalo, let's get into this Bills backfield. Obviously, we, we expect this to be a much more explosive offense than the one we were just talking about in New England with, with Josh Allen at the helm. You got Stephon Diggs. You got Gabriel Davis, uh, you know, Dawson Knox, kind of an ascending player, although uh, that it's a discussion for a different podcast. But I'm a little bit um, skeptical on on him. But, Me too. you know, the people want a bite of the apple when it, when it comes to this offense and that, that totally makes sense. But how do you make sense of this particular, you know, running back core? I mean, you, you've got guys who have gotten chances and not done overly well with it uh, in, in types like Zach Moss and and with Devin Singletary. And then we have uh, someone in James Cook, who's just conventionally not built for 200 or, you know, a heavy, NFL type of workload. He never had one in college. And, you know, that that's only going to get a little bit tougher on him physically um, at this next level. Yeah. So I'll admit it is a weird case with James Cook. I can understand why some people convince themselves of some pretty, uh, what I, th- I think are lofty expectations that they of course see it as more reasonable than I do. So uh, whatever, I think they are assuming some premises that are hasty at best though. And then I, I would sooner say just actually are pretty clearly at a glance, not, not valid, uh, not sound. Uh, one of them is, or at least I've seen some people express the sentiment that, well, look, you know, not only is he Dalvin cook's brother, thus making him a similar talent, he might actually be the same talent or more because he can just kind of add five pounds or something and be the same weight as Christian McCaffrey was at the combine. And there's a few things that are wrong with that kind of thinking. And uh, if, if they are wrong about it, we'll derail their entire theory about him and leave them with basically nothing rather than anything. Like if the theory that these, the highest valuations of James Cook are wrong, what they have there is something completely useless rather than something where they're like, Oh, a little bit off. Like there, there isn't even like a Tony Pollard worst case scenario here. Like it, it could be more like uh I, th- I think he's Justin Jackson. I guess I can just say that. I think he's Justin Jackson, very specifically, almost the exact same player. And that has a certain use up to like 15, 20 snaps per game. Otherwise, you start to see him get hurt. Uh, I think you saw that with, with Jackson, with the Chargers, uh, too. However, I, I got to give Justin Jackson this credit and, and I guess levy additional criticism against Cook. Jackson was a workhorse running back in college. And true, his weight was basically the same as Cook. But... I guess that just gets to the point that it's not just the mass that dictates your durability or your ability to take on a certain workload or scale in a certain fashion from any given workload level to another. It's that there's a, there's an element to playing football to playing running back that you're not going to capture in the stats that lends to the longevity that someone like Justin Jackson had in college and that especially Christian McCaffrey had in college. So if you want me to take the leap of faith that James Cook being 199 can just be the same as Christian McCaffrey at 204 uh, by eating a few cheeseburgers or whatever, then at the very least, I'm going to need to see the Georgia uh, football program 
give uh, whatever. Uh, Chris McCaffrey had like 26 carries a game and like five catches per game. His last insane. Uh, two like his his workload uh, at Stanford what was preposterous in his uh, Heisman finalist season. And yeah, and like I said, Justin Jackson's was really big at Northwestern. So those two players, McCaffrey and Jackson, have some ability, I think, to play running back at that weight and do it longer, do it better than someone like Cook or else someone like Cook would have gotten on the field more. And some sometimes you get people digging for examples like Alvin Kamara as as a precedent that, well, he didn't he didn't even start in college and look at what he did in the NFL instead. There was no Jalen Hurd, you know, Mr. Tennessee playing ahead of uh, playing ahead of James Cook at Georgia. And Alvin Kamara was like the leading pass catcher on those Tennessee teams anyway. He was like their second most used player after Jalen Hurd. James Cook was sitting like the sixth most used player from scrimmage on that Georgia team up until last year when he was what the fourth. So mm-hmm. he's good for something like 15 or 20 snaps per game. And he otherwise doesn't have the speed or the tools to project, you know, upside growth from that point. So it's all eventually going back to just what his name is and the team that he plays for. Now on the team that he plays for, they already have some guys who can do things better than him. Like James, whatever you think about James Cook, he's not going to just start being a fundamentally different ball carrier than he was throughout uh, four years at Georgia. He's not going to be as good between the tackles as Devin Singletary or Zach Moss. And I think with Zach Moss, by the way, he's basically just been hurt all the time. If he can play, he's, he's definitely capable of giving them something, especially like a power element that they otherwise don't have. Uh, so I'm pretty low on Singletary in terms of more than a rotational back kind of thing. But what you're, what you're seeing with the bills, in my opinion, is pretty obviously a rotation and the rotation is going to be broken down on the basis of functions. You're not all just going to get like an even one third or whatever people might think it works. Like you're going to get cook, uh, what, maybe 50 carries all year, something like that. And the most of the work that he'll get is snaps where they are throwing the ball and maybe even playing hurry up, uh, designed screens, things like that. So he can maybe get three or four targets a game, but that's the best case scenario. And even if Devin Singletary and Zach Moss get hurt at running back, even if, by the way, Duke Johnson is better than any of these players. If they actually make this a real competition, Duke Johnson is clearly better than any of them. So I don't expect it to be a real competition. I know that there's a political incentive to rig it, which is probably what will happen. But Duke Johnson is better than any of these running backs. And if, if he does make the roster, they're all done. Dang. Well, <laughs> I did not expect a, us to go down that avenue, but 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 here we are. Me neither. But he came back. He, he did last year. And it's 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 easy to forget. He had like, what, uh, 18 bad months with a few injuries at age like 27 and 28. And then people just immediately wrote off Duke, even though immediately before that happened, he was nothing less than one of the most productive pass catching running backs in the NFL for almost a half a decade. So I think people have a, a bit of a memory span issue generally. It's selective memory. I yeah. They, so they want to remember stuff that, that supports whatever take they're crafting and they want to conveniently forget other things. There's also a tenant. I, I almost wrote something about this. I, I rather, I started writing it and couldn't figure out how to way to finish it in a way that was both like legible and wouldn't make me sound paranoid, even though I am, but there's this, <laughs> there's this, this trend uh, and a lot all of society, definitely, but also in fantasy sports analysis, this, this obsession with automation logic, like automated ideology of, you know, everything should all, all reasoning should be suspended and left to input and output devices 
of, of various sorts. And you get people believing stuff like James Cook is Dalvin Cook because their their little model about like punching t- number two for draft capital, punching uh, whatever, uh, pass catching pa- uh, target share, punch that in. It's just like, oh my God, he's Alvin Kamara. Like, well, yes, if you automate all that reasoning, you can reach that conclusion. But if you turn on your own brain for a few seconds, you'd be like, oh no, well, this is wrong. I'll have to, I'll have to jigger these uh, settings a little bit to make it a little more reasonable, but that's never something they do. No. <laughs> it, yeah. There, there's never a mea culpa about uh, p- people's models. It the seems process, like the process can't fail. It can only be failed by reality. <laughs> I love that. Um, so what, what are you doing with, with this backfield overall? I, I'm going to go no, ahead no, no, and guess I'm not, that you're I'm not, not going to get a lot Duke. of cook. Uh, yeah. I'm not drafting Duke. But I'd love to have a reason to blow uh, $99 of fab in week one on uh, Duke Johnson making the roster. Uh, that, that's something I would uh, be definitely eager to do. So I'm avoiding the Bills backfield. If I do take someone, it's probably going to be Singletary. And I've certainly bashed Singletary quite a bit when people try to argue for him as like a, a workhorse runner or like a – we were recent – not us. There was recently a debate, you know, before the James Cook selection, there was a debate about – is Singletary going to go in like the fourth round? Cause he had those three or four good games toward the end of the year, excuse me. And uh, luckily we're not there anymore. Singletary's ADP is about the same as James uh, Cook's. So I'm probably not targeting. Uh, I'm definitely not targeting Cook there. I'm probably not targeting Singletary, but if it comes up to that spot and I got to take a running back and I'm basically choosing between those two, I, I don't have any problem with taking Singletary there, especially in, well, I don't know. I, I was going to say, especially in best ball, but maybe not really. Cause Singletary's highs and lows might have more to do with just kind of uh, injuries around the offense. And you can, you can plan on that even in weekly lineup setting. You know, it's like if, uh, if uh, whatever Moss and uh, James Cook are out, you know, like, Oh, Singletary's going off. They're playing the chiefs. The chiefs don't defend the run, whatever, whatever. That's Singletary's mm-hmm. going to be totally solid in cases like that. But it is hard to know. I think right now, which games of the year he's going to get to 15 carries. It's, it's going to be like that week. You'll probably know, but it's hard to know now. No, exactly. But but that at the same time, like like you said, it doesn't take him off the radar necessarily for for redraft because you 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 know usually with best ball it's like okay I don't have to guess but you you'll be able to in season. Um, so I, I like that that point. Um, anything else to to add on the, on this Bills backfield before we move on? I guess you could say this with pretty much any team. But if someone gets hurt, you know, then then we can narrow down uh the the possibilities i think but right now I, th- I feel like the adp with with especially cook is supposing an amount of certainty uh, that just isn't there and an and upside that isn't there either yeah I, I i tend uh to agree as well uh before we get on over to to some uh running back fades uh to to consider when we're uh, kind of going all over the board, you know, some guys going high second all the way down uh, to uh, James Cook, actually, maybe a little bit even further down still. Uh, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we got a message from our friends over at Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take more than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is a platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code ROTOWIRE to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy Sports just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Again, that promo code ROTOWIRE to receive 10% off your team or your league. All right, Mario, moving on. Let's get into some uh, running back fades. So you you have dipped your toes into uh, the best ball market over the last week or so, got a couple of them under your belt. DeAndre Swift, I mean, this is the the Georgia running back uh, bashing show. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, which but, is uh, funny because um, last year, I think we both were pretty leading DeAndre Swift advocates because at the time his ADP was like, it was no higher than the mid third or early third, I want to say. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. I got him a couple times a little later than that. Uh, probably the days when, whenever Dan Campbell said something like Jamal Williams is a real running back who is on our team. You know, that, that kind of quote would just send the markets tail spinning on Swift. Cause people <laughs> be like, Oh, the Swift bros. They said, they said he's going to play running back, but actually Jamal Williams is and uh, Deandre Swift is going to, you know, there were people last year because of meaningless training camp quotes and like a $1.2 million signing bonus on a two year contract to Jamal Williams. were basically imagining Deandre Swift as being what James Cook actually is. Uh, like a, a 10 snap wide receiver running back. I was like, you know, Swift is definitely a really good running back on the field. Like he's dangerous when he has the ball. Uh, he's dangerous when he doesn't have the ball, of course, too. Like the defense always has to worry about him. But, and we, we got hints of this in his Georgia career too. Like he can only take so much work or to this point anyway, the way he's been built to this point, he can only take so much work before something starts going wrong. And it's in college, it was mostly that shoulder. Uh, last year, I guess it was like a hip in training camp that he, he just missed so much practice time with these, these various things. And I'm not saying that that was all I, like, I think some of that might've been bad luck. I don't think it's just like, he's always going to have things like that happen to him, but players of a certain frame in his case, it's like five, eight, two, 12 or something like that. Uh, that's actually pretty solidly built already. 
Um, and he still is getting these kind of, you know, just ways of getting nicked up. So his absolute best case scenario, I think, is kind of working like, you know, Austin Eckler, basically. And that, that Chargers offense is scoring a lot more touchdowns than the Lions one. And even despite that fact, when it gets to scoring range, the Chargers offense is more dependent on Eckler than the Lions are when they get in scoring range, too. So th- there's a certain price that I'm willing to take. Uh, Swift at, including one higher than last year, but 18 is too high. I think you're, you know, at, at the very least someone like Aaron Jones, he plays on a much better offense. Not that it matters in the same division. Uh, it's sh- that proximity should kind of be enough to make us think a little quicker. Like, wait a second, why am I going to take the, the guy who fun- projects for no more share of his offense and the lower scoring offense of these two teams who play each other twice? Like why, why do we miss what Aaron Jones presents uh when when it's right in our face like that uh so aaron jones at the very least should be going ahead of deandre swift and i guess i should mention this is this is um this article that i'm writing specifically about underdog with the half point ppr so yeah swift is worth taking a little higher in cases where it's full point ppr because i mean if he has full health all year he could i don't know catch like 80 passes 85 90 passes something like that and that would obviously be a smash outcome in ppr scoring but I just don't see the grounds for projecting more than like six touchdowns from scrimmage. And Jamal Williams is going to get a lot of carries again, especially when it's, you know, a, a rainy day in Chicago, Jamal Williams game. It's that's just going to be how it works because they, they need to keep Swift from getting broken. Right. I mean, Swift, I mean, dating back to like his freshman year at Georgia, when mind you, he's running behind Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle, who are taking up a huge volume of carries. Swift still needed, um, sports hernia surgery after, after that season. So yeah, oh, I mean, right. this is a, this is a, a longstanding uh, problem with problem with him. And it, it does, you know, it, I guess it, you know, it's like you're injury prone until you're not, we've seen, we've seen guys get nicked up earlier in their, in their careers and, and, you know, end up being durable players later on. And, you know, like you mentioned Swift with the solid build, you would kind of think conventionally, you know, something like that is going to hold up bet you know, better than, you know, a, Obviously, they're not going at the same stage of drafts, but like James Cook, you know, you wor- you worry about the taller, leaner frame being able to to hold up. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if Swift. I mean, if like you said, if Swift is able to play the entire season, then you know that this could um, really crush um, in in the end. But it's it's hard to hard to see it when there's just his not carry count evidence to it. Yeah, his carry count and thus his yardage from scrimmage, his touchdowns from scrimmage is capped. Like I, I know there's this there's this kind of popular mode of fantasy analysis now where you say a running back categorically does not have upside unless they're among the target leaders and categorically have the most upside if they are among the target leaders. But carries still count and Swift, I don't know what you can give him. I, I think he had, he had one game over twenty carries last season. That was it. And it was like yeah. a total fluke, like 33 carries against the Steelers. Didn't they tie that game? Like it was um, just a Didn't weird. Didn't you get hurt like immediately after that again too? Anyway, he, I'm probably he, just making Yeah, it up. Pr- pretty much. He, he ran for 136 against the, the Browns the following week on, on like almost nine yards um, or, or almost 10 yards a carry, which was pretty crazy. But then, then the, you know, things started to fall off. He, he had that injury like two weeks later. So for what it's worth, I'm looking at, again, the underdog ADP. I I misstated it a little. It's not uh, it's not it's not um, 18 that Swift is going at. It's 16, which is three spots behind Joe Mixon. A guy's going to have like two and a half times as many carries as him. And then uh, sorry, I'm getting my stupid uh, scroll button stuck. Uh, Saquon Barkley at 23.6. 
especially in the best ball tournaments, I would rather have straight up over Swift. And I know there's a ton of risk there too, but he, if he doesn't get hurt, can get those 20 carry games in addition to the five catch games. You know, he could literally have twice as many carries as Swift and match his reception count. So it is a rosy, you know, tinted glasses imagination of the, the season outcome, but it is possible. And Swift is priced, in my opinion, at his best case scenario. Mm, yeah, in, indeed. And then uh, I, know, I know we didn't talk about Saquon like off air necessarily, but but where are you with him? I, you, you know, obviously you just talked about him as a potential, you know, late second round type of target. Is that something you're going to get in on? So I'm, I don't know what to make these days of the, the running back options. I'm, I'm pretty agnostic, I find. Like there aren't really that many players that I look at and just say, hell no. Or uh, definitely, yes, buy in bulk. Like, I, I don't find myself feeling that way. I find myself, uh, with a few exceptions, getting up to a certain level of exposure before I get really nervous. And, and even th- even as I'm approaching that exposure in the first place, I'm kind of, again, agnostic about it. I'm sort of just thinking, you know, what's the best case? If, if the best case happens, I guess I hope I have a team like this here and there. But I sure don't feel confident just assuming that's going to happen. So don't give me too much either. Uh, Barkley... I can imagine being the kind of guy who, if he reportedly is, is dealing with any kind of maintenance day in practice, his ADP that day might plummet like a whole mm-hmm. round. So maybe wait to, if you get a certain exposure level, like I have one of, of my four teams so far, I've got Saquon on them. Uh, so I don't really want to go higher than like, I don't know, 15, 20 or something. But if it's in like the third round, uh, if, especially the fourth, I mean, if he whatever pulls a hamstring and misses like six days of practice, uh, you can maybe get him in like the fourth round and then that little window, it's time to buy in bulk and then, you know, hold off again after. Oh, okay. So, so uh, we're, we're day trading Saquon stock. The, all these running backs, man. It's like, th- there's a lot of running backs in the, the fifth, sixth round range that I think are clearly really good values. And the only reason I can't buy them all in bulk is because you can only take one of them. Like I'm thinking of Josh Jacobs and Antonio Gibson players that I I think are pretty clearly going to get the ball a lot this year. And people just are bored with them, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, guys in that uh, Elijah Mitchell falls into like the late six because people think this LSU guy is going to play and he's not. Uh, Remember how high Shanahan was on sermon last year. And you got people telling you now like, Oh, you have to really care so much that Kyle Shanahan, uh, said this quote about how he thinks uh, Tyrion Davis Price is good at this or that. Like, yeah, well, he would have told you Sh- Sermon was good at this and that last year too. Where did that get you? Look at who can actually play. There's evidence of which one can actually play. It's clearly Elijah Mitchell. So anyway, those running backs, I love. Those are the guys that I have no qualms about at all uh, up until whatever. You, there, there's, there's some share exposure percentage that you shouldn't go over almost no matter what. Whatever that number is, I'm willing to go up to with those like Jacobs, uh, Gibson, Mitchell guys right now. But the rest of them... It's like you gotta you gotta keep in mind your exposure levels basically, and just kind of be prepared for the worst in all cases. Sure, and it you know Mitchell's interesting because he, at least uh, over on NFC, so it's a it's a different service. But I got their ADP pulled up, and you know he's kind of like the only guy uh, going in in the uh, fifth round uh, right now among hmm. among running backs. Um, interesting. You know, kind of, it kind of like becomes this weird dead zone where it's like you can get J.K. Dobbins at the at the end of the fourth. And then Mitchell's the only running back that goes up until. Uh, Sounds like the running backs are going quite a bit 66. higher on NFFC then, which I yeah they're getting pushed up. Um, yeah, uh, so also oh the other one, uh, I'd rather have I think not I wouldn't rather have straight up 
Travis Etienne, but certainly for the price, you get the same category as a player as Swift is. And I think a better, I think Etienne is a better talent if that foot is okay. I'm, I'm really high on Etienne, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to see, uh, again, data, data from a different site, but his, his min pick over the last month was 26. So, um, you know. And, I'm sorry, that's that's like the highest? or Yeah. like the, Okay. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't take him that high, but I mean, you know, if he has that kind of season, I'm going to be the last person who's actually surprised. I think ETN's a total monster. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I just think it's like a, an early indicator that, that – ETN stands out as like a potential helium guy over the course of the summer. Once people kind of like fully wash off their, their perceptions of the Jags and realize that, you know, they might actually be, you know, something resembling an NFL team this year. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to take this uh, chance to mention, uh, I know I've said this before, but people are writing off James Robinson in a way that I think is quite hasty, uh, probably foolish actually. And he's, I think, going to have some news break about him in the next, I don't know, maybe it won't be for a couple months, but he's going to come back sooner than people expect. The narrative on him is like, he's just toast. He's donezo and or like at best going to be on PUP. I wouldn't be surprised if he's active. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the PUP list and is active in like week three or something like that. And if, if James Robinson gets back sooner than people expect, I believe he will then that news might tank ETN's ADP a little bit because a lot of people are kind of rationalizing that higher end, you know, reach like you described because they're imagining James Robinson as being out of the picture and ETN being like this three down player. I don't think he needs those three downs to pay off at his current price. I think James Robinson and ETN are both really good players and they're both going to play a lot, including in slightly different functions. And I was shocked even as an ETN super fan, I was shocked to see these tapes of him lately playing wide receiver. Basically he looks like a wide receiver. He snatches the ball out of the air. He's going to be sick. Dang. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, wasn't there some talk of, of that type of role uh, a year ago? We, we, yeah. We it's just him? surprising to me personally, because if you watch him running routes, he doesn't look like a running back. You would never suspect he's a running back and he, he's going to make really good plays as a pass catcher. And yeah, of course, by the way, he's a demon with the football in the first place. So give him the ball uh, behind center, give him uh, the route downfield against some linebacker. The defense doesn't want either one. No, absolutely not. You know, he's he's been electric since you know his freshman year. Oh, and he, he looks like he's about 200 pounds right now, which is about 15 lighter than the pro day where he ran the four, four, five. So for whatever it's worth. I think that's because they're clearly going to limit his carry work a little bit because James Robinson is just going to pick it all up. And that 200 means he's probably running more like a four, three, five right now. Yeah. The, the, I mean, you watch the tape of him just absolutely dusting defenses at Clemson, basically his whole time. So you, don't, awesome. you don't just like, you don't have that, that much yards per carry and, and be slow. That's he was absolutely like a top three college football running back all time. And you, you say something like that and people, with zero attention span, zero attention to detail. You're like, Oh, you can't say that. Like who else had like 75 rushing touchdowns on whatever obscene number that it was. And then still averaged over seven yards per carry. No one. That's who. Yeah. Right. So uh, he's crazy. All right. Now I'm going to like need to get into ETN pod, super fan podcast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've, we've, we've established uh, one of, one of our first um, brands uh, for, for the upcoming season. Although if you've been listening for a while, we've been, We've been ETN guys. We've got these shares. Alvin Kamara, talk to me about him. It's all about the legal situation. He's gonna miss games, man. It's he's gonna miss games. You can't you can't beat some guy 
uh, be a part of a entourage that beats some guy almost beyond recognition on camera uh, and then tell the police that he was running from you when you did it. Uh, yeah, that that's I don't I don't think it's been reduced from a felony. Right. Like he's just looking at a felony for that one. So uh, he's going to miss time and uh, he could he could go nuts in those whatever uh, 13, 12 games, whatever he plays. But I don't know. He's he's not playing more than like 13 games this year, in my opinion. Okay, so so yeah, ba- uh, bear that in mind. Brief uh, entry, at, yeah. At a at a late second round uh, type of price tag. Uh, let's get on over. Um, you know, it's interesting to see just how much the the public has cooled on Ezekiel Elliott, and then I, I think as like the the kind of coordinating action to that, I think a lot of people have maybe gone a little bit over their skis on, on Tony Pollard. Uh, is that is that a fair summation? Yeah, I guess I've been repeating myself for a couple of years on this one, but my problem with Tony Pollard, whose price just gets higher every year, uh, the problem is he doesn't have the upside that people think he does. The, the the fans of his, the people who drive this price that I'm talking about, they think that there's a scenario on the table where not just by injury, it seems like they think they think Pollard's just going to put Zeke on the bench and then be Ezekiel Elliott. You know, like they think there's going to be a 20 carry four catch player like Zeke was at, at his peak. And they think that on the basis of these these contained workloads where he posts trivially more explosive numbers that you can just scale that to the same workload that Ezekiel Elliott had as like a 228 pound, 22 uh, year old. And it's not going to happen. Like Pollard's a totally different build. He's 25 pounds lighter than Zeke was. He's slower, even though he's that much lighter than Zeke was. He's, I guess probably he's a more varied pass catcher. I don't even want to say he's a better pass catcher than Zeke was. Like Zeke was totally good pass catcher, especially out of the backfield. Uh, Pollard, of course, can actually line up at receiver, which is a a varied function to me. It's not necessarily like a meaningfully better one, uh, unless the yards per target, the touchdowns per target go up, which they're not really there for Pollard as much as everyone wants to keep going back to the theory that he has as uh, the the upside theory as a a wide receiver pass catcher. It's like, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Why isn't he doing when, when Eckler was on the bench for the chargers, he was still forcing his way onto the field and, and putting up huge numbers as a pass catcher. Pollard gets on the field. He puts up a, a few plays as a pass catcher, but his numbers are not that clean over the course of his career. So he has limitations, I think both in skill set and in frame where, yeah, he's going to have his role. He's a good player for his kind of like sixth man role, but that's all he can do. And if you try to make him do more, you're all of a sudden going to just see him start looking slower than he used to. He's all of a sudden just going to start going down earlier on plays because he's not going to have as much gas. He's not going to have as much uh, – his frame's going to wear thin if he takes too many hits. So, yeah, Tony Pollard at 88, I think, is – it's too high for any insurance aspect. It's just not a good enough return to justify that cost. And there's no upside there to, to justify the, I think, slack you're just taking on as a team – by having him as kind of like a mid-tier flex play every other week. So Ezekiel Elliott, I'm not going to say he's he's exactly like a clean pick, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I think about him even now, but he's he's totally palatable to me at like 40 or wherever he goes. Yeah, I just – I don't know if I'm going to end up with any Zeke shares. Yeah, I, I see it as like he's kind of at risk for injury and being plotting again – and they're just going to kind of keep getting in each other's way forever. Yeah. So that I'm not, not super in on, on him uh, this, this year. 
Um, let's see. Whom else do we need to get to here? Ken Walker, uh, maybe. Kenneth Walker. Yeah, so it's – I like Ken Walker enough. I'm not one of these people who tell you that he's bad because he didn't catch a lot of passes. I would have to see him in an offense that had the category of running back targets in the first place, and I would need to see him lose those targets to other players, do less with those targets than other players on his team. Neither of those things are true. He did as well as the other guys. There's just no such function in either the Wake Forest uh, offense or the Michigan State one, and especially in the Michigan State season he took on a huge rushing workload. There was no meat left on the bone after that season. It wasn't like the, the Spartans were sitting around like, oh, if only Kenneth Walker had caught 10 more passes this year, we might have been good. That's not yeah. what happened. They were like, man, this is awesome. We have Ken Walker getting 25 carries a game. We don't even have to do anything else. So that's what the deal was. It wasn't failure. And people, there's, there's a certain analysis mode out there that basically just says Ken Walker sucks as a pass catcher and whatever. They're guessing. Uh, so... I'm not making that guess. I don't really care because the price is too high right now. Either way, like he's going, uh, I, I did, like, like I said, four drafts and I, I hope I'm not mischaracterizing this, but I feel like in all of them, Ken Walker went at least two rounds before Rashad Penny and maybe even four rounds, three or four rounds in one or two of them. And that's just absurd. There is zero basis to think Ken Walker will even start. I don't know, four games this year. He's definitely not the by default starter. Like, does anyone really think, does anyone want to come out and just say Ken Walker could have run for 2,400 yards and uh, whatever 30 touchdowns or whatever Penny did that year at San Diego state. Penny is as fast as Walker at 10 pounds heavier. He's, he's got everything that Walker has and more. So mm-hmm. Penny's durability is a problem. Of course, I, I got nothing for, for people who wonder about that, but what other case can anyone recall where the running back who's just the, the in case of injury, starting replacement goes two or three rounds before the one who would otherwise start if they don't get hurt. That's never happened. So people are just wrong about this backfield. They're wrong about Penny. It's, it's part of that automation ideology thing. Again, they're just second round capital. Uh, this guy put up this many PPR points per season in his first four seasons. Historically, this many running backs with that point per uh, reception points per game uh, turned out to be top 12 finishers. It's, it's, look how low it is. Ken Walker, uh, free, free space. No, you're, 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 you got to turn your own brain on for once. Just do it. It'll be quick, really easy. You'll just look at Rashad Penny and be like, well, that's a big, fast guy. He sure runs for a lot of long touchdowns going back a long period of time. Maybe he'll keep doing it. I don't know. And, and, you know, if, if you want to be like a draft capital absolutist, like who, who had the better one? Yeah. And not just that, but it, this kind of cuts against Penny in a way. Uh, but the Seahawks spent something like the third to last pick in the draft before they took Penny in the first round on Chris Carson, who started ahead of Rashad Penny for three years. So Ken Walker, even if he had like the superior draft capital momentum over Penny, if they, if they start a miss or irrelevant over their first round pick, they clearly are not beholden to, to Walker on any basis of draft expense. No, exa- exactly. So good, good point there. Um, anything else to, to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, no, I'm going to try to get a bunch of takes in article form posted about kind of like the underdog market and then uh, maybe other sites. But, yeah, I'm kind of trying to catch up on all that. Excellent. I'm looking forward to, to all of those. And this was uh, great illuminating stuff uh, as always. But that's going to round it out for uh, this week's edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends 
over at Reality Sports Online. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.